Now, this morning, I want to encourage you to take your Bible or the one in the pew rack in front of you and turn into the Old Testament to uh, 1 Samuel 21. And we're going to kind of work through a number of chapters together, and I'm going to have you moving around the Scriptures this morning. So it would be beneficial for you to have a copy of the Scriptures and the text before you so that you can be walking along with me this morning as we uh, look at this message a word to all cave dwellers. Two weeks ago, uh, when we were concluding our series, uh, The Church 360, and I was talking about the importance of serving and Christ's call to the church to be a people of, of compassion, to serve our community with compassion and service, one of the illustrations that I used was an illustration uh, out of the life of Mother Teresa of Calcutta the so-called saint of the gutters. And at the close of the second service on that day, I had an interesting interchange with two of my dear Christian sisters here in the body that asked if I had seen the articles that had been recently printed in our local paper, but also in Time magazine and some other journals, have appeared recently in various print media that have spoke of the, uh, as the articles have spoken of it, the sole torment that Teresa felt over the absence of Christ in her life. That is to say that for Teresa, she talked about this, this arid period in her life, went on for many, many years, where Christ seemed distant and far away. This woman who selflessly ministered to the poor and has said that Christ is everywhere, that Christ is in our hearts and in the poor we meet and in the smile we give and in the smile that we receive, this woman also admits in a series of letters to a spiritual confidant that Christ to her seemed afar off. To her, Christ seemed silent, distant, absent. What's interesting to me as I've read those articles and a book is coming out uh, that uh, outlines some of these letters to her spiritual confidant, I hope to be able to read it, is this point and counterpoint experience. This woman who so selflessly gave of herself in service to others, and yet at the same time, while serving sacrificially and selflessly, felt an emptiness within, that Christ was afar off. I find it troubling, and much could be said, and commentary could be made. That's not my point this morning. But I also want to acknowledge that possibly the experience that Teresa speaks of is an experience that may be more common than we would originally imagine. I'm wondering this morning, Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that that God might answer other people's prayers, but not yours? That other people who are always talking about the presence of God and His nearness and, 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 and His imminence in their life, but to you, you, you look quizzically at it and say, I, I don't hear God's voice. I, I, God seems far away to me. God seems distant to me. God seems terribly unavailable to me. And yet, again and again, as you go through Scripture, there's this thread of assurance that, that reassures us as followers of Christ that God is with us. 
In fact, God's promise to be with us is probably repeated more often in the Scripture than any other promise in the Bible. Over and over again, we are told to not be afraid. Why? Because God is with us. The Lord your God, Scripture reassures, will be with you wherever you go. Think of it. This promise that God is present, that God is with us. I hope that you've sensed that this morning as we've worshipped that God is present, present in our midst this morning. This promise was made to Adam, it was made to Noah, it was made to Abraham, it was made to Sarah, to Joseph and Moses and Esther and Mary and Paul. Right down to you and me, this promise comes to us today that God, Emmanuel, is with us. In Genesis chapter 28 and verse 15, God told Jacob, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. To Isaiah, he said in Isaiah chapter 43, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. How was it that David, the shepherd boy, could, could say that I walk through the valley of the shadow of death? It was because of God's precious promise to be with in Psalm 23, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Of all the promises that Jesus made through the New Testament, Do you remember what His last promise was to His disciples before ascending into glory? In Matthew 28, He said, And surely I am with you always, even unto the very end of the age. But as we've seen, and as some of us may have or are currently experiencing, there are those dry, arid times in our life where we feel that that even though in our head we know that God is present with us, somehow in our experience we feel God is absent. And, and I think that most of us have experienced those seasons in our lives when God seems a million miles away. And if you haven't felt that, then I'd say brace yourself because that time is soon coming. There are those times when, when God seems afar off. Now this morning I want to talk about a period of deep discouragement in David's life, where David lived in that valley of discouragement for over seven years. It was a very painful time in his life. And yet, as we begin to look at this part of his life story in Samuel, 1 Samuel 21, we'll be able to see how it was that David was able to not only experience God in this valley of discouragement, but how he was able to walk out of that wilderness of the soul and have his own soul intact. So if you have your Bibles open to 1 Samuel 21, I want to to direct your attention to verse 10 and, and let me set the context a little bit so you you know what's going on. It's kind of a, a funny thing happened on the way to the palace kind of a story. Now, to some people, once David had been anointed by Samuel the prophet as the new king, the second king of Israel, it just seemed as though everything that David touched was turning to gold. I mean, he defeated Goliath. The people loved him. They even sang, made up, the children made up songs about David. They used to sing as they danced in the streets, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. In just a few years, David, this young shepherd boy, was on a fast track, a shepherd kid, to become the most successful officer in the army of Israel. But then one day, 
Saul, the king of Israel, became threatened by this young upstart and he became jealous of David so much so that King Saul decided to take the life of the man who he admired, who admired him the most, that is David. David had been on this incredible journey from poverty to the palace. He was going to become the king of Israel. But in a moment, it all began to unravel. He lost his job. He lost his income. And he lost his security. And in what must have seemed to him to be a foggy dream, he went from being a warrior, top man in the army, to becoming a fugitive. And next, we, we read in, in these passages in Samuel that he loses his wife. He had married Saul's daughter, Michal. But then one day Saul sent his soldiers to David's home to kill David. And Michal helped David to escape to safety, but she was taken by Saul and forced to marry someone else. And then while fleeing from Saul, he loses the one person who was able to keep him grounded spiritually. That is the prophet Samuel. So David loses his job. He loses his family. He loses his mentor. And then he loses his best friend, Jonathan. The one person in the world that David knew to the core of his being would always be there that he could trust with any confidence. He loses his friend, Jonathan. They were like this. And even his friend, Jonathan, is stripped away from him. And with all of this loss in his life, we pick up the story in 1 Samuel 21 and verse 10. And verse 10 tells us that that very day, David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. He fled from Saul and went to Achish. Lost his home. Now he's lost his country. And without any other options before him, he goes to a foreign place. He goes to Goth. Anyone remember who else came from Goth? Exactly. Goliath came from Goth. David has no place to go except into what could be considered the enemy camp, into the land of the Philistines, where he has taken to Achish, the king of Goth. And we read that David is so afraid of what these Philistines uh, are, are possible or potentially able to do to him. What does he do? He puts on a front. He acts like he's a madman, like a mental maniac. And, and it tells us that Akish said to his servants, look at the man. Speaking of David, he's insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen? Akish says that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man, David, come into my house, the king said? And so David is released, and in 1 Samuel 22, down into chapter 22 and verse 1, what does it tell us? He continues to run. This time he runs into the caves of Adullam. Now, there's a picture there on the screen. I did a little archaeological research and apparently, this is where archaeologists say that David hid, that this is the cave of Adullam. 
It's hard to know because in this particular area, this territory that, that is near the Dead Sea in Palestine is, is filled with all sorts of mountainous caves. So it's really hard to pinpoint and say this was the actual cave. But it seems that experts agree that this is the cave of Adullam where uh, David uh, was hiding out, as it were, from all of his enemies. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been in a few caves in my lifetime. Maybe not as deep and dark as those that David was in. But there have been, in my 50 years of life, there have been some seasons of discouragement. You see, when I'm talking about a cave, I'm talking about that place where all the props are knocked out from beneath you. And all your crutches and everything that holds you up, all the scaffolding of your life gets stripped away. I had that experience last year when the doctor said to me, you have prostate cancer. Though my faith was strong and remains strong, in that moment when the C word entered into my life, for a moment the scaffolding was knocked out from beneath me. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you are there. For some of you, your cave may be a lost job. For some of you, it may be financial pressure. For some of you, the cave that you've been in or that you are in is that the dreams that you once thought would be reality have now been shattered and broken. Or maybe you're just where you always wanted to be and yet there's still an emptiness inside of you. For some of you, your cave may be that you've lost a spouse to death or divorce. Or maybe your hopes of being married or having a family isn't unfolding the way that you thought it would and dreamed of. And you find yourself in a cave. Maybe your health has given way long before your spirit of adventure. Whatever The reason, the fact is, that some of you, even today, are living in a cave. Nobody plans on living there. But it seems to me that sooner or later, every one of us will spend some time in the cave. And often when we're in those caves, we begin to wonder to ourselves, and sometimes we wonder out loud, has God lost track of me? Has God forgotten me? Has God reneged on His promises to me? Does God remember who I am? Does He hear my prayers as I pour my heart out to Him? Is this what the rest of my life is going to look like? And we cry out to God, God, where are You? Where are You? Sitting there alone in the cave, David began to write. And what he wrote can be found in your Bible. I would urge you to turn there for a moment to Psalm 77 and see what David wrote. 
in Psalm 77. In fact, Marla, I think that I've created it. There it is right there. The print is a bit small, but if you don't have your Bible open, this is what David wrote while hiding in the cave. Verse 1. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and my soul refused to be comforted. I remembered you, O God, and I groaned. I mused, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. That is, I, I, I was sleepless. I was awake. I, those long stretches in the night where my mind is occupied and distracted. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart mused and my spirit inquired, Will the Lord reject me forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? What honest writing. I mean, David is transparent before God as he's in this cave, lost his family, lost his his love, the love of his life, Michal, lost his country, lost his king. Here he is. He's in enemy territory, hiding in a cave in fear of his life. And he, this is the darkest moment, the dark night, as John of the Cross would say, the dark night of his soul. And he says, will God reject me forever? Has God lifted his hand of favor off of my life? I can just imagine him sitting there. Writing and saying, I think of the good old days when God seemed to be so near. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I search my soul and think about how different it is now. Is this my fate? Is this what I'm going to have to live with the rest of my life? I want to tell you, friends, if you don't have the sense of it from David's writing here, this was not a good time for David. This was the pits. This was like... Alexander and the horrible, no good, terrible day. And yet, here's what I'm discovering to be true about cave experiences. That caves are sometimes the best place where God can do His work in us. God does some of His best work when we're living in a cave. When we're in a cave, God sometimes is able to get our attention and he, He's able to kind of mold us and shape us because the props are knocked out from us and, and all the things that we've depended on, the things that held us and gave us that sense of security are no longer there. And all of a sudden, God gets our attention and we become soft like malleable clay and And he begins to do some of his shaping influence and cleansing work in our hearts and he shapes us in a cave. And I find that he does it better there sometimes than he can when we're out on free and loose. 
Because when all the props and crutches in your life get stripped away from you and you find that, that, God, that everything that you've got in this world, that all you've got is God, that's when you discover that God can really meet you at the deepest need of your life. And it's when you often begin to realize that God is closer than you think. Sometimes of all the places in the world, it's not the palaces. It's the caves where you meet God. God does some of His best work in caves. Now, thankfully, David didn't have to live out those difficult years alone. While he was hiding out in the caves of Adullam, it's funny that, that uh, God brings some interesting people into his life. And I found that to be true, that when, when you're in those cave experiences, God will appoint individuals to step into your life. He, he ordains different individuals to come into your life. When you're in those wilderness seasons and you're feeling alone, God will tap the shoulder of an individual and say, hey, Rick is in a cave and he needs you. Mary's in a cave and she needs you. And, and that's the case for David. Look at back in 1 Samuel again, 1 Samuel 22 and verse 2. David was not alone. 1 Samuel 22 and verse 2 says that all those who were in distress or who were in debt or discontented gathered around him. Oh, you say, what a motley crew God appoints to bring around him. Those who were in debt and discontented and in distress. And David became their leader. I mean, it reminds me, was it the Christmas show uh, about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? Maybe it was Frosty the Snowman. I can't remember which one it was. Uh, the Land of Misfit Toys. Well, Rudolph, good. I won't have to ask that question in the second service. Rudolph, remember, the Land of Misfit Toys. I mean, this is a perfect picture of the Land of Misfit Toys. People who are in debt, who are distressed, who are discontented, that are living in the mully grubs, it's a bunch of Eeyores. <laughs> and God appoints these Eeyores and He says, you come around David, he's hiding out in the caves of Adullam, he needs your help. And the Word tells us that he became their leader, that there were about 400 men with him. And things are pretty good until... The enemies come in, the Philistines come in, and the Amalekites come in, and they plunder David and his company. And 1 Samuel 30, verse 4, I know I'm jumping all over the place in 1 Samuel, but it tells us that because the wives were taken from them and their houses were plundered and all the rest, that things were even getting worse. And chapter 30 and verse 4 says that David and his men, his misfits, company wept aloud until they had no strength left to cry. Have you ever been to that place where you're so much in despair that you can't even work up a tear? That things are so dark and so black that, that you can't even muster up any emotion? Now that sounds pretty bad. But for David, it's about to get worse. Because look at verse 6 in chapter 30. It tells us that David was greatly distressed because these men that God had brought around him were thinking of stoning him. Again, here's David, a fugitive from his own country. His own king, 
Saul trying to kill him. His mentor, Samuel, is dead. His refugee village is gone in Goth. His best friend is gone. And now this ragged little community is ready to stone him to death. And then comes, I think, one of the greatest statements in the life of David. Look at it at the end of verse 6 in chapter 30. What does it say? But David found strength in the Lord his God. Would you say that aloud with me? But David found strength in the Lord his God. Somehow, I can't explain the mystery of this, but somehow in this dark night of the soul, when everything is stripped away, family, friends, support, country, mentor, everything stripped away, hiding out in the cave, people chasing him. Even the people who were appointed to be his encouragers are chasing him down, wanting to take his life. What does David do? He comes to the end of himself and he finds strength in the Lord his God. While he's in the cave, he gets a renewed vision of the promises of God. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it, to be encouraged by a by other people, it's a great thing to pick up a CD or a book, to, to be encouraged by it. It's great to come here on Sunday morning to worship and study and fellowship with other believers and interact with one another the way we do. It's wonderful. But I'll tell you, when you're living in a cave and there's nobody else to turn to, We need to turn to God. And we need to find our strength in Him. When every other resource is gone, when every prop in your life is kicked out from underneath you, when every crutch is removed, that's when we need to turn to God. David did. And he found strength in the Lord his God. As I bring this down to a point of application, I I want to share with you this morning three observations that that I'm making and that we're seeing through this particular season of David's life that I think will help you and me to be able to experience the nearness of God even in the midst of such trying circumstances. What What is it that we can learn from David? The first is this, to share your heart with God. Share your heart with God. When we find ourselves in a cave, we need to make sure that we share our discouragement openly and truthfully with God. That's not always as easy as it seems. That is sometimes a difficult task. Uh, Go to, in the book of Psalms again, go to Psalm 142 for a moment. Psalm 142. And before you even get into verse 1, I want you to notice the, the um, heading of this psalm, at least in my particular copy of the text. It says that this is a maskil of David. A maskil is, is a psalm that teaches a truth or teaches a lesson. A maskil of David. And notice... The next sentence, my copy of the scripture says that this was written 
when he was in the, what's the word? Cave. It's a prayer. He recorded his prayer from the cave. Look at what he says in verse 1. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before Him. Before Him. Before God. I tell my trouble. Psalm 142 is a psalm for cave dwellers. If you're living in a cave today, this psalm is for you. And it teaches the first important point. The observation I'm making is this. That when we're in a cave, we need to share our heart honestly with God. No show of hands, but I'm wondering how many of you have ever complained to God? (laughs) Clay, I told you not to lift up your hand. (laughs) David says, I pour out my complaint to God. There are a lot of different psalms. There are are psalms of celebration. There are psalms of remembrance. There are psalms of wisdom. But the most frequent kind of psalm in the book of Psalms is called the psalm of lament. A psalm of lament is just a fancy way of saying this is a prayer of complaint. I've got a complaint, God. I don't get it. You seem far off. Is God put off by our complaint? Not at all. What I found in the Psalms, as I found in the book of Job, is as long as we remember who God is, especially against the backdrop of who we are, that He is the Creator, we are the creature, He is the infant one, I am the finite one, He is divine, I am human, as long as we remember who God is, and as long as we allow God an opportunity to respond, He welcomes our complaints. And yet there are a lot of people who are never able to venture forth in their walk with God and are never able to do this. They either stuff their discouragement down real deep, they pretend to be okay, they put on a mask, they throw on their mask and force a few forced smiles. That's one way of handling it. Or they vent their anger and frustration at God without even wanting a response. But what I've discovered is neither of those tacks will ever help you. Neither will ever lead you to a place that is healing and peace. But David chooses to express himself to God. He's transparent before God. And because his heart was aching to hear back from God, he was able to get to the very bottom of his pain and discouragement and say, God, this is where I'm at. I mean... If we really believe who God is, is who we believe He is, then doesn't He know how you feel already? I mean, who do we think we're fooling? God already knows where you are. He knows everything there is to know about you. He knows your heart, so why not just own up to it? Why not be honest with Him? So if you want to be encouraged in the Lord, it seems to me that the first step that you have to take is just be honest about the discouragement you're experiencing in your life. Share it with God. Be open with Him about it. For David, for all of us, expressing ourselves honestly to God not only invites God into the cave with us, 
but it keeps us from getting overrun by fear and anxiety. That's the first point. When we find ourselves in the midst of difficult circumstances, wondering where God is, be honest with God. Secondly, we need to resist the temptations that we might face. Uh, Turn back uh, for a moment back into 1 Samuel. You're patient with me this morning. Back to 1 Samuel and chapter 24. First Samuel in chapter 24. There's an important story here because through it we're able to see a very real connection between temptation and the cave. Now notice as I read this how vulnerable we are when we're in the cave. When we're in the dark seasons of life. Chapter 24, verse 1. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you are to deal, to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscious stricken for having cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Now, why do I bring out this particular incident out of David and Saul's life? To to say this, that sometimes when you're in a cave, it will seem to you that there's a shortcut that you can take. I mean, David finally sees a way out of his cave-dwelling days. All he needs to do is knock off the guy who's against him, his arch enemy, Saul, who's been causing all of his problems. How lucky could David get? David, this cave-dweller in the back of the cave, is minding his own business in the cave. And Saul, the king, his arch enemy, comes to do his business in the cave. Perfect opportunity for David to take a shortcut to get his archenemy Saul. And he's prompted, he's tempted in this moment to get Saul. And so while Saul is not looking, what does David do? He goes up and he, he cuts off a corner of his robe. In that moment, I, I have to believe that there was a huge war going on with David. Do I kill him? Do I get rid of this guy? Even his men were probably hoping that he would. So that we don't have to live in the caves anymore. There's nothing that Saul could have done to defend himself. He was an easy prey. 
But David refused to take the shortcut. Because that's not what God wanted. The Lord forbid that I should touch the Lord's anointed, David says. He would not go against the ways of God. I'm wondering, have you ever experienced anything like that when you're in a cave? It seems to me that when you're living in a cave that you are particularly vulnerable to temptation. That promises to get you out of the cave give you a sense of relief. It must have been so tempting for David. I can get out of the cave now. All I have to do, have this thing be over, is kill Saul. It would have been a shortcut, I believe, but it would have been a shortcut that ultimately, I think, would have destroyed David had he taken that path. So David walks quietly towards Saul and simply cuts off a piece of Saul's robe so that he could later prove to Saul that his intentions were never to kill him or to take his throne. Some of you are in a cave today. You're in a discouraging place for whatever reason. And there may be a shortcut that you think provides fast relief. And it may be tempting for you to take that shortcut. Maybe you feel so alone because you're single and you've been single for a long time. Or maybe you're in a cave because your marriage is in a wilderness. And there's another relationship that promises intimacy and closeness. And it's tempting for you to think, you know what? This is so available. It would feel so good to be with this person. And I'm so miserable and lonely in this cave. And God wants me to be happy that you will be tempted to take a shortcut that is not according to God's plan. I warn you in the name of Christ, don't take shortcuts. Because they will destroy your life. They will kill the Spirit of God in your life. It will appear that these shortcuts will set you free from what might seem to you to be a prison cell. But they will lead you into a deeper dungeon. So the question is, will you take the shortcut? Or will you submit to God and follow His plan? Resist the temptation. Third, and finally, and quickly, find your ultimate refuge in God. There are all sorts of caves. Some are shallow, some are deep. There are some caves in which you are in where it seems to you that nothing is going to fix it. You don't have control over this, and all you can do is wait. And it's simply then, in those situations, that what you need to do is wait on God, who promises to be a refuge to you in the time of trouble. David writes in Psalm 9, verse 9 and 10, The Lord is a shelter for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you, for you, O Lord, have never abandoned anyone who searches for you. You, O Lord, have never abandoned anyone who searches for you. What do you do when you're in a cave? You share your heart with God. You resist the temptation to take a shortcut. You find your ultimate refuge in God. 
and say, Lord, I'm just going to wait. Because I know you'll bring this season to an end. I know that you'll take me out of the cave and you'll bring me into the land of the living. This morning as we close this service, I'm well aware that there are some of you who are living in some sort of a cave. And you've been there for some time now. You're tired. You're hurting. You're weary. Perhaps you're at a place where you're tempted to take a shortcut or even give up. I'm wondering as we close this service this morning, would you be honest enough with God and honest enough with your brothers and sisters and say, you know, this is where I'm at today. I'm in this cave. There are hurts and insecurities and and fears and anxiety. But I'm going to choose to wait on God and find in Him my refuge. I just want to remind you today that sometimes God does His best work in caves. And even though this season that you're going through may be difficult, you can still be encouraged and strengthened in the Lord. You will find strength in the Lord your God as you wait on Him. And discover that though you may feel that He's far away, He is very near. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? And this morning, I'm going to ask you to embody your commitment to find refuge in God. If today you are living in a cave and you are willing to wait on God to bring you out and to find your strength in the Lord your God, I want to invite you to right where you are, to stand. Just stand and indicate to God and indicate to me, I'm in a cave today, Lord. Discouraged, downhearted, pressed, weary, I'm in a cave. Would you stand and say, Lord, this is where I'm at today. I need your encouragement. I'm in a cave. but I'm willing to wait. I'm willing to find strength in the Lord my God. The props are stripped away, but I'm going to find strength in the Lord my God. You are my refuge. You are my fortress. You are my stronghold. You are my deliverer. I will find my refuge in you, O God. Ever-living God, you are a refuge and a hiding place to us. And we confess that there are times when we're in the pits that we even lose sight of you. Forgive us for our despair, our self-pity and loneliness that prevent us from turning to you in our time of need. Empower us today by your Spirit to bypass those counterfeit places of refuge that come our way, those seeming shortcuts to peace and safety, and help us today, Lord, those of us who are cave dwellers, help us to turn to you that you might prove to be our ultimate refuge. With your open arms, Lord, will you embrace us and may we find refuge in the Lord our God. Thank you for never giving up on us. 
and for being our divine refuge. Lift us up. Empower us and turn our hearts and our eyes upward to the Lord Jesus, who is our refuge and our strength. Let's all stand together.